largest democracy in the world, India is governed in terms of the constitution of India. In other words, our constitution is supreme since it came into force on 26th January 1950. In maintaining the supremacy of the constitution, a judgment of the constitution bench of the Supreme Court plays a significant role which is known as Keswanand Bharti judgment. This judgment gave a solution for both the parliament's right to amend the laws and the citizens' right to protect their fundamental rights. First ever constituted a 13-judge constitution bench headed by then Chief Justice of India, Justice S.M. Sikri had delivered a historical judgment on 24th April 1973 in the case of Keswanand Bharti vs. State of Kerala. By this judgment, the Supreme Court had ruled that any government is not above the constitution. Any government cannot amend or change the basic framework of the constitution. And third, if the government amends any law, then the court has power of judicial review. In a program organized in the premise of the Bombay High Court at Goa, judge of the Supreme Court, Justice V. R. Gawai explained that why this judgment is still relevant even after 50 years of the pronouncement date. Before I come to the judgment of Keshwaran Bharti, I think it will be appropriate to refer to the legal history. As all of us know that there was a long debate in the Constituent Assembly. The Constituent Assembly met for a period of more than two years and six months and debated. One of the articles which was debated with regard to the amending powers of the Constitution, the there was a criticism from both the sides. The constitution provided that an amendment to the constitution cannot be carried out unless it was passed by half of the majorities of both the houses and some of the, some parts of, or some of the articles of the constitution could not be amended unless the amendment was passed by two-thirds of the majority of the members in both the houses we shall not be less than half of the members. So Dr. Ambedkar was criticized on, from both the sides. On one side, he was criticized that the amendment, the power to amend is too liberal. And on the other hand, he was criticized that the power to amend is too stringent. But he gave an answer. He said that the amendment, the constitution which we are providing cannot be static, cannot be a dormant document because we do not know what shall be the needs of the future generations and the future generations must be left free to amend the constitution so as to meet the challenges that would arise in the coming years. But he said that at the same time we cannot permit the constitution to be amended liberally because today the constituted assembly is sitting as an independent body without having any political agenda and therefore it will be providing a strong constitution for the generations to come and if we enable the parliament to amend the constitution liberally then there is a possibility that a political party who is in a power would use it as an umbrella to or as a weapon 
to put its political agenda into action. And therefore, we find that immediately after the Constituent Assembly <coughs> adopted the Constitution on 26th of November, which came into effect from 26th of January, there were certain judgments of this court in the case of Champakaran and so on, which gave rise to the very first amendment in 1951. In the case of Champakaran, the government of Madras, the then government of Madras had provided for reservation for scheduled caste and backward classes. However, the Madras High Court set aside that view on the ground that it was violative of fundamental rights and particularly Article 14 because it was discriminatory in nature. It was carried to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court by a judgment of seven judges, the Constitution bench, upheld the judgment of Madras High Court and it held that the executive or the parliament does not have power to execute, to enact a law or to amend a constitution in a manner which would abridge or infringe any of the fundamental rights as enshrined in the constitution. Then we also see that since the country had wedded to the principle of social and economic justice along with political justice, from 1947 to 1950, all the state governments in the country had enacted various agrarian laws, thereby abolishing jamindaris, protection of tenants, and so on, so as to ensure that the fruits of the democracy reach the bottom levels of the citizens of the country. These amendments were challenged in various high courts. Patna High Court had held such an enactment to be contrary to the fundamental rights and therefore set aside the Zamindari Abolition Act, whereas the Nagpur High Court, the then Nagpur High Court and the Allahabad High Court had upheld that the legislature had such a power to enact the laws for aggregate reforms since it was in tune with the directive principles of the Constitution of India. These contradictory judgments gave rise to the first amendment in 1951 which was stable by none less than Pandit Jawaharlal Nehru himself. By the said amendment, Article 31A provided that, as all of us know that initially Article 31 provided that the right to property is a fundamental right. And therefore, by 31A, the, the parliament provided that the acquisition of lands, etc., would not be declared invalid on the ground that it infringes any of the fundamental rights in part 3 of the constitution. Then, the 17th amendment in 1964, it enlarged the scope of estates and included Jagirs, Munafis, Jangam rights, Rayatwaris, etc. within the definition of estates. By the said amendment, 44 more acts came to be included in the ninth schedule, 
this came to be challenged in the case of Sajjan Singh versus the state of Rajasthan and by a thin majority of 3 to 2, the said constitution amendments were affirmed. The three judges held that the power to amend the constitution was an irrelevant power and therefore the, the parliament was entitled to amend the constitution though it hit the fundamental rights. But however, we could see that the seats of dissent were shown in the very same judgment in two minority judgments of Justice Hidayatullah and Justice Mudolkar. Justice Hidayatullah said that I would require stronger reasons than the ones expressed in Shankari Prasad to hold that the parliament has an unbridled power to amend the constitution. And Justice Mudolkar, he held that the power to amend would it mean the power to substitute? He said that the power to amend cannot be used to take away the basic features of the constitution. So though we find that the term basic structure has been used subsequently in Keshwanan Bharati, the first time it was used as a basic feature in the judgment of Justice Mudolkar in Sanjay Singh. However, Justice Gajendra Gadkar, the then Chief Justice speaking for majority, said that the parliament was the best judge to take into consideration what was necessary with regard to socio-economic development of the country. There are various challenges that can be only understood by the parliament and therefore the parliament's power to amend the constitution cannot be fettered with. Then, we find that in the meantime, two more enactments, one from the Mysore Land Reforms Act and the Punjab Land Reforms Act came to be included in the ninth schedule and that gave rise to the, to the judgment of IC Golaknath, which we popularly know as Golaknath's case versus the state of Punjab. In the said case, it was a bench of 11 judges and by a thin majority of 6 to 5 judges, the said acts were held to be invalid on the ground that they hit clause 2 of article 13 of the constitution of India. The learned 5 judges held that any act which takes away or infringes the fundamental rights or abrogates the fundamental right were not valid in law and therefore the amendment to the constitution which inserted those two acts was held to be invalid whereas the five judges held that the parliament has an inherent power to amend the constitution and it could also amend the constitution though it takes away the fundamental rights of the citizens. Then there were two another cases which again were before the nine judges case. One is Rustamji Cooper versus the Union of India, which is popularly named known as the bank nationalization case, wherein the shares of the bank were sought to be purchased at a nominal price. And the second one was, as we all of us know, the case of previous purchase 
the case of His Highness, the Maharaja Jira Madhavrao Jivajirao Sindhya versus Union of India, where where it, a challenge was made to the privy to the taking away of the privy privy purses of the erstwhile rulers of the princely states. Both these judgments held that the act which took away the shares of the bank without paying adequate compensation as well as the purse from the rulers was violative of the constitution and set aside both these enactments. To overcome that, there were a series of amendments during the tenure of Indira Gandhi government. The first one was the 24th amendment wherein clause 4 was inserted in article 13 and a corresponding amendment was also made to article 368 which provided that any law made by the parliament would not be susceptible to challenge before the Supreme Court and then the 25th amendment provided for it inserted Article 31C, which provided that any law made in furtherance of the social and economic justice as found in Clause B and Clause C of Article 39 would not be susceptible to challenge on the ground that it takes away the fundamental rights of the citizens. Then Article 31.2 was substituted it provided that the parliament was entitled, parliament or the legislature was entitled to provide for the principles on which the compensation for acquisition of the property could be provided for. Then, by the 26th amendment in the year 1971, the parliament amended the constitution so as to take away the recognition granted to the princely states and so also withdraw the privy purses granted them. Then by the 29th amendment, two more acts with regard to state of Kerala, Kerala land reform acts came to be inserted in the ninth schedule. All these amendments over the last two, three years came to be challenged in the case of Keshanan Bharati. The, there is a little anecdote to which there are a series of petitions. The first one was by the Keshavanan Bharati, who was a Matadipati of one of the Mats in Kasargod district. And the land of belonging to the Mat was being taken away by the Reforms Act. And since that was the first case, it was being referred as Keshavanan Bharati versus State of Kerala. It was argued by Nani Palkiwala on one hand and Mr. Sirvai, Mr. Daftari on the other hand. And every day he used to hear on radio his name that Keshavanan Bharati's case, this is argued by Mr. Palkiwala, then this is argued by Mr. Sirvai. He was afraid as to from where he will pay the fees to the lawyers. And Unfortunately, he, we lost him last year. And this is one of the most 
important cases in the rather than one of the most important case in the legal history of the Indian Constitution, it upheld the first part of 31C, wherein it provided that all laws made in furtherance of the directive principles as enshrined in clause B and C of Article 39 would not be susceptible to challenge. However, the second part of the 31C, which provided that the Supreme Court or the High Court will not have a power to examine the constitutional amendments was held to be ultra-virus, the basic principles or basic doctrine of the Constitution. So also, the similar amendments made to Article 13 and 368, which took away the power of judicial review of the Supreme Court, were also held to be invalid. It was held that the power of judicial review is a basic one of the basic structures of the Constitution. We'll find that the judgment in the case of Keshavan Bharti, insofar as amending powers of Parliament are concerned, there was a vertical split. The six judges, under the leadership of Chief Justice Sikri and five others, held that there was an implied and inherent limitation on the powers of the Parliament to amend the Constitution and the, and the Parliament, even by an unanimous majority of both the houses, could not take away the fundamental rights guaranteed under the Constitution. Whereas, on the other hand, Justice A. N. Ray and six others held that there were no limitations on the power of the Parliament to amend the Constitution, and by amending the Constitution, it can abridge, abrogate, take away any of the fundamental rights finding part, finding place in Part Three of the Constitution. However, it is the view of Justice H. R. Khanna, which is, which he accepted a part of six judges on one hand and part of six judges on the other hand, which came to be a view of Keshavanand Bharti. He held that the, though the parliament has a power to amend the constitution and also to take away the fundamental rights forming part of part three of the constitution, it had no power to do an amendment or to enact an amendment which will hurt the basic structure of the constitution and therefore this is a milestone in the Indian history wherein Indian legal history wherein Keshavan Bharti held that though the parliament has power to amend the constitution and also to take away the fundamental rights it had no power to damage the basic structure of the constitution though no specific instances as to what would find what would be found to be the basic structure of the constitution have been laid down but from the judgment we can gather several of the aspects the some of them are the supremacy of the constitution the constitution is the supreme document the secular character of the indian constitution the republican and democratic form of the government 
then separation of powers of the three wings of the democracy, that is the executive, the legislature, and the judiciary, then the federal structure of the constitution, as Mr. Coelho referred to, that we have our constitution is a mixture of American and British constitution, but it is not only a mixture of American and British constitution, we have borrowed good ideas from various constitutions. And though we are a federal structure like the United States, but our, our federal structure is much, much more unitary as compared to the American system, because American system, you have dual systems, dual citizenship, you can have a separate laws for the, for the, the separate states, whereas insofar as India is concerned, we have only one citizen. If you, even if you are a, a part of, you are deciding in Maharashtra or deciding in Tripura, you are a citizen of India and not a citizen of Maharashtra or Tripura. Then the another basic structure was found to be securing the dignity of individual while maintaining the unity and integrity of the nation, then duty to construct a welfare state in accordance with the mandate of the directive principles of state policy, then building an egalitarian society. The judgment of Keshwanand Bharati has withstood the test of time for last 50 years. We are celebrating <coughs> the Golden Jubilee this year on 12th of April 1973, it was delivered. And if you find that though there was some criticism that it requires reconsideration, but it is the judgment in Keshwaran Bharati which has withstood that on one hand the basic structure of the constitution has to be maintained the federal structure of the constitution, the independence of three wings of the constitution, that is the executive, the judiciary, and the legislature, permitting them, each of them, to act within the spheres allotted to them. And on the other hand, it is also provided for a balance between the fundamental rights and directors of directive principles of social policy which have enabled this country to march towards the social and economic justice that is guaranteed in the constitution in the preamble itself we have ensured to ourselves justice economic social and political i would end by saying that on this occasion we salute the constitution makers and the authors of Keshwaran Bharti, which have made our country proud and great. In this function, legal fraternity also celebrated the occasion of 40 years of establishment of the Bombay High Court at Goa. Acting Chief Justice of the Bombay High Court, Justice Nitin Jamdar and the Judge of the Supreme Court, Justice V.R. Gawai, remembered the journey of glorious four decades of the Bombay High Court at Goa. 
we rejoice in completion of 40 years of the High Court at Goa, symbolizing its journey of upholding justice and serving as a pillar of the legal system in Goa. The completion of 40 years by the High Court at Goa is a remarkable achievement worth celebrating. Over the past four decades, this esteemed court has emerged as a beacon of justice, tirelessly working towards ensuring access to justice to all in Goa, interpreting laws, resolving intricate disputes arising from conflicting jurisprudence. It has played a crucial role in safeguarding the rights and interests of the people of Goa, upholding the rule of law and contributing to the growth and development of the state. As one of our senior colleagues, Justice Bobre, used to always advise that whoever wants to be a complete judge, he must sit in Goa at least for a period of six months so that he can learn law from all the sides. The variety of litigation that you have here, the mining matters, the environmental matters, so many public interest litigations, they really help you to enrich yourself as a complete judge, as a complete lawyer. I congratulate you all on the completion of 40 years of the High Court of Goa. On this occasion, President of the Goa High Court Bar Association, Advocate Jilman Koilo Pereira, pressed for more stake of Goan advocates in the bench. And I leave you with the candid words of Justice Gawai expressing his support for more numbers of Goan advocates in the bench. My ardent request to you, sirs, if I am not impertinent, is that more members of this young bar be recommended to the bench so that we could have them here in Goa to deal with local problems. Let me mention, sir, and I have made it known to the Honorable Chief Justice that the association has resolved that the High Court should have at least five members of the bar in one term, at, at, at one time adorning the bench. That's my ardent request to you, sirs, if I am not being indiscreet, so that the merit of the Goa bar is duly acknowledged and also we have adequate number of judges on permanent basis to mend this bench. In so far as the demand made by Mr. Pereira that there should be more elevations from the Goa, I fully support it but it is not within my domain. So I I, 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 yeah, I convey his request to the Acting Chief Justice and whenever, whenever it comes to the Collegium, to our Collegium, I, I will say that we will fully support it. I fully agree that Goa deserves at least five members 